What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I've been a guy who's kind of battled with my my brain over the years of overthinking and thinking too much and trying too hard and caring too much. And um, and even right now, pitching in the fall league, I just try to turn my brain off. What up, guys? It's your host, Robbie Rowan, on The Robbie Rowe Show. You are tuning into episode Jackie Robinson, in other words, in non-baseball relative words. Wow, what? Episode 42, guys. Sorry. It's late. Um... Just got done recording this episode, and I wanted to edit all this up, so it's past my bedtime. I don't know. I keep mumbling, but anyways. Uh, episode 42, my guest today's name's Connor Jones. Connor and I first met in 2016 when um, we were both in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Uh, just to give you a brief background, uh, Connor was originally drafted out of high school, by the San Diego Padres, decided not to sign, went to the University of Virginia, just you know, messed around and won a national championship and was the Friday night starter and you know, hung out and uh messed around and became a second round pick by the St. Louis Cardinals in 2016 and is currently in the Arizona Fall League. So um Connor's killing it. And it's no it's no accident. Guy puts in work. Guy is a student of the game, and definitely got a good episode lined up for you guys today. Uh, just to hit on a few brief topics that we talk about. Obviously, we talk about his journey from from high school to college to the draft, and and uh, you know all of that in his background. Um, we also dive into what it takes to succeed in big moments. Um, obviously, Connor pitched. You know, in college, Friday night guy, he pitched in Omaha, and and those aren't just, you know, any other any any given day things. Like those are big tasks, and I find it very intriguing how um, he handled those situations. Um, we also dive into a very interesting topic coming from a pitcher side of things of how can we, as pitchers, essentially turn off our brain. You know, we I think we live in a day and age in this game where we have so much information, we have so much input. You know, as far as data analytics, coaching, uh, you know, people telling us a lot of different things, and and when we get out there on the game mound, like we have to turn that off and we have to just compete. And I like how Connor dives into this subject and 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 you know kind of gives his um, you know gives gives an example of as far as how we can do that. 
and uh, and we kind of round things off with where he's at currently in this in this stage of his career, and and how he made a mechanical adjustment and a mindset adjustment to start throwing in the upper nineties. So, like I said, super awesome podcast lined up for you guys today and it just so happened that i have a baseball player on episode 42 i love how i didn't i didn't coordinate that and it just happened um i will say that connor and i talk a little bit about his lifelong pitching coach um jamie evans i will link his twitter account into the show notes on this episode um you can find this on soundcloud.com slash the robbie rose show slash Connor Jones. So that's C O N N O R J O N E S. And I know he spells Connor wrong. <laughs> it's his name. He spells it wrong. But uh, I'd like to take this time and thank the sponsor of today's podcast episode in Pocket Radar. I've talked in the past about how valuable a tool like Pocket Radar is. You know, Connor being a guy that is in the Arizona Fall League that is, you know, we do touch on data analytics and, and it just goes to show how much of an importance, you know, knowing your velocity, knowing these these metrics that you bring to the table. It's it's very important in today's day and age to to understand these things and also to have something to shoot for. So Pocket Radar does a great job having a very inexpensive tool to put in your toolbox to always allow you to know and understand your speeds um, be sure to go into the show notes of today's episode and find out how you can purchase your pocket radar today so i just want to thank you guys for tuning into today's episode 42 um, if you haven't already go ahead and subscribe to this podcast um, and as well, if, if, if you really like my voice, um, go ahead and you know leave a review. Those, those definitely help me out in the long run. But I know I say it every episode, so it probably gets annoying. Anyways, whatever. My name is Robbie Rowan. You can find me on Instagram where I'm most active, RobbieRow12. That is Robbie with a Y, so don't forget that. I um, want to thank Connor for coming on today's show and, uh, and just dropping some knowledge. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And without further ado, here's Connor Jones. See you guys. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Robbie Rose Show, episode 42, Jackie Robinson. Um, I got a special guest with me, Connor Jones. Connor, welcome to the show, brother. How you doing? Thank you, Rob. I'm good, man. I'm excited to be a, excited to be a part of the show. Hey, man. I, uh, I thank you for starting the show off with a lie. So... Uh, Wow, I, I appreciate that, <laughs> dude. Um, so, so Connor, for those of you who are listening, um, coming coming to us live from the the Arizona Fall League. So, everyone just went, "Oh, dude, Connor's a dude." So, you're welcome. For <laughs> Let's <that>. hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what's going down, man? What's what's uh, what's new in the life of, of Connor Jones? Obviously, uh, you got the Fall <clears> League <throat> here. You you. Uh, Ah man, I, I'm gonna get the, if I get this wrong, I, I I really do apologize. But 2016 draft, right? Yes, correct. Okay, okay. so so hot for, start. Yeah, so for those for those of you listening, uh, Connor and I briefly met in the St. Louis Cardinals organization in 2016. I was hurt, right? Like that was um that was when you, when you got drafted. I was I was in rehab, right? I don't think so. I just I remember you. On the backfields, just cracking jokes, asking everybody if they were high spin. And I thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> so, so, so answer the question: Are you high spin? <laughs> I'm about. I am the lowest spin 
Oh. I'm on the complete other extreme. Oh, so, man. I can't um, wait to dive into that. I'm incredibly that. low spin. <laughs> I can't wait to dive into that. All right. So, yeah. all right. Um, so, I, I, I don't want to go like full back, but I do want to go back and I do want to grasp a little bit of your story. So, what I got on my end is uh, a Virginia boy. Um, yep. 2013, your senior year of high school, you get drafted. Um, 21st round to San Diego Padres. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's going through your mind at that time, dude? You're a senior in high school. Obviously, that's a that's a huge accomplishment. But you decide um, to go a different route. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so it's kind of a weird situation. So I was actually looking at maybe being like a late first, early second round pick out of high school. I uh, I never thought I would be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to be the best pitcher in Virginia Beach. To be honest with you, yeah. So I never really pictured myself like, you know, potentially being drafted. I just didn't realize I was in that situation. And I kind of blew up my junior, senior year um, on the national scene. But I, uh, yeah, so when all of a sudden it got really serious my senior year and scouts are asking, what's your number? What's your number? Right. And I, I, when I was honest with myself, I said, I, I don't know that I really have one, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, uh, I had a pretty strong commitment to Virginia um, I committed there after my sophomore year of high school. Mm. Um, so yeah, when, like when push really came to shove, I said, you know, I don't, not really sure I do have a number. I've kind of been set on playing here. So we came out, my dad and I and wrote a letter saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Like to the scouts, like, I'm not going to waste your time. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you guys in three years basically. And so then I was playing in the, the state tournament for high school and the, I heard the Padres still took me in the 21st round. So that was cool. I knew they were the team that was highest on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just cool, man. Like, you know, being drafted for the first time, um, you know, it's something that, you know, just a, a cool little thing to have mm-hmm. your accomplishments. But, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty crazy situation. Dude, that's, I mean, it's, it's crazy to like grasp too, because I remember when I went through my scouting process back in like 1945 and, um, <laughs> it, it's like, it's just so surreal, dude. And everyone kind of tells you like, yo, you know, make sure you're, you know, you're really like owning in on these moments cause they don't last forever or whatever. And at the time I just remember mm-hmm. thinking like, yeah, it's whatever. It's just normal. Right. And, and, uh, you yeah. just don't know any better. I mean, 17, 18 years old. And I remember my process was, was like super hectic too with, with scouts calling me. I couldn't even imagine what it's like today with, with uh, like the technology these days. Oh I mean, yeah. So, so, so connected. Um, so, so that's interesting, man. And, and uh, I, yeah, and it I, was a, it, it was a weird situation because, like, you know, some of these other guys have older brothers, you know, two or three older brothers who've all been through pro ball. Well, I have a sister. I'm the oldest of the family, and um, so like there was not a ton of influence. You right. know, I had at the time my advisors. They're still my agents, right? You know, seven years later or whatever today, who did a really good job informing me. But other than that it's mainly just your college coach who's, who's influencing you. And so I, I kind of had a one sided, you know, information that I was given. And, um, so it's just interesting now being on the other side, you know, I'm not sure I would have changed my decision looking back, but it's just interesting knowing what I know now about, you know, college versus pro and all that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's just interesting. It's crazy too, because I mean, looking at it from like kind of the outside in, you know, you're an 18 year old kid, like you said, with not a lot of like influence and you're probably getting these high like dollar amounts thrown at you. Um, Mm -hmm. and so how, I mean, like, how are you able to go, okay, I'm looking big picture here. Like I want to, I want to be more than just, you know, for the money. Yeah. Well, fortunately enough, I was 
I was raised by really good parents who I think I was fortunate enough to have that kind of perspective when I was at that age. Right. And I just, after seeing the numbers and the stats and stuff, and I, I just said, you know, the numbers, the numbers said as a, as a first or second rounder out of college, in terms of the big picture, you're set up for far better success than you're going out of high school. And that was, honestly, that was kind of all I needed to see. Not that I didn't, not that I wasn't confident in myself that I could be one of the smaller numbers out of high school, but I just said, if in terms of long-term success, this looks like the better route. And that, that was kind of my main decision. Yeah. That's a, I mean, it's a, it's a mature decision too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember going through it too and, and it wasn't, you know, I try to always tell people like, for me, it was never about like money, money. It was just, I want to be like a baseball player. Like I want to yeah. wake up in the morning and only have to worry about baseball. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's kind of what it came down to because no matter Honestly, unless you're the first or second pick, no matter how much you sign for, it's, it's you know you're probably gonna have to make more than that to live sure. off. So sure, which not a lot of people understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so now we'll, we'll stay we'll stay in that time frame. So you go to so you go to Virginia. So is this like a, a, a hometown school? Like everyone, you know, is there family there, or what's what's this picture there? No. So I've lived in Virginia since I was like three. So I guess I was I was born in Connecticut. Um, we moved shortly to, to Virginia shortly after, um, brief, brief stint in New Jersey and then to Virginia. So uh-huh. I lived there my whole life basically. Um, but I never had like a, I never had like a dream school, which was the crazy part. Um, you know, I rooted for UConn basketball. I just kind of rooted for people like you know, teams all, all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I was born there, <laughs> but, um, but so no, I, you know, my recruiting process was really weird. I heard from three schools total, heard from Virginia tech and, you know, to be honest, I really had no interest in going there. Mm-hmm. Um, funny cause I ended up going to Virginia, but, um, then I heard from South Carolina and I, you know, they, they were coming off their world series, the college world series runs. And I just, I didn't know a ton about them. And then I heard from Virginia when they were in Omaha at the time. Okay. And after looking at it, I, you know, I, I'd been to the campus before, loved it. It's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The, the size of the school was right. And at the time, they had the best pitching staff and sure. program in the country. And I said, "Well, shoot, it's my home school, my state school. Mm-hmm. Everything, I, you know, it's a grit academically. It's a fantastic school. Like there, there wasn't a whole lot not to like." And mm-hmm. and I said, "Shoot, like what am I waiting for?" And so my my, my parents kind of were like, "Well, let's just see what else happens." And I said, "I don't think there's anything else I'm waiting for." So I committed like two weeks later, and it was over and done with. So that's <laughs> so you said end end of your sophomore year. Yeah, I first heard from I first heard from Tech after my sophomore year after the state playoffs, and we just started the showcase circuit. And then uh, two weeks later, I uh, right after an outing at Wake Forest, I committed. So, 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 so being being, um, and, and I guess you don't have to answer this, but being like committed super early, was there any regret? Not not like obviously now, but after you committed and you're. You know, your junior year is probably really successful. Your senior year is probably just as successful, maybe more. And I'm sure more and more schools are, are probably reaching out. Was there any, like, decision there that was like, man, maybe I should have shouldn't have committed so early? No, I mean, I think the – I mean, times might have changed, but I think, like, the, the college recruiting landscape was pretty – pretty straight up like there there i didn't really you know football or basketball might be different but yeah. i didn't really have anyone like you know trying to get me to decommit or anything like that it was uh they were pretty straight up so i you know it wasn't any you know sleaziness or anything like that going on so. i'm just like i'm sitting here like super kind of like envious of your of your recruiting <laughs> process dude because i was so stressed out man like i 
I waited, I think I waited like, you know, a couple hours before the, like the November deadline or whatever it was. And I I just kept going back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I don't know. And then I hear stories like this where it was like, yep, I'll go to this school. And yep, that's it. (laughs) That's basically how it was. Like there was, I had friends that were going to Miami and LSU to visit and, you know, going all over the country. And mine was the farthest thing from, you know, the dog and pony show. I just, (laughs) I cut to the chase and got to it. The night, the honestly, the nicest thing was, was that when I took my SATs like my junior year, Ugh. I got, it was the first time I took it. I got like a, a solid score and they were like, yeah, it's good enough. You don't have to take it again. So I didn't. So that was, yeah. So that, Dude, that was, that was that's the biggest, huge. that was the nicest part. I <laughs> just took the SAT once and that was it. So yeah. You know, what's funny, man, is like, um, Cause you, I mean, with the SATs, I don't, I don't know how they are or when you were, I mean, we're only like three years apart, but for me, it was the higher your GPA, like the lower you could get on the score and like be eligible. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sliding scale. Yeah. But I, I remember I took it the first time and I, and I have, I mean, you know me, like I. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I have terrible ADHD, so I'm like, SATs was like literally my worst nightmare. And um <laughs> And I remember like not even putting too much like weight into it, like saying, oh, I got a high GPA. I don't really need to get a high score. And then I remember Vanderbilt was like, yo, you got to take this again because if you want to like take a visit here, like you got to get this. Score. That's a little bit of pressure. Bro, they made me take it twice. <laughs> man. I, was, <laughs> I was so upset. Yeah. When you, um, when you know Vanderbilt's looking over your shoulder, that's a little bit of pressure right oh, there. Oh, man. Yeah. Talk about a good school. Um, so let's let's dive into the school, man. So uh, freshman year, what does that look like? Because this is, this is the part that's like super interesting to me because I obviously not not had gone to college and um it's funny because i wrote a blog post on this about how college really i think you said it earlier prepares you for like that big spotlight you know mm-hmm. um because for me it was i was drafted and i went straight to like rookie ball and then you know the the azl or those type of leagues where there's not right. too much pressure i feel like um whereas mm-hmm. in college like every pitch you're throwing dude like freaking matters so so take me through that process man like what what is what what freshman year look like for you yeah so freshman year i was like i came out of the bullpen i mean we had a loaded team we had like three or four first round picks on that team you know a team that eventually played in the net for the national championship this is in Vanderbilt. 14 or 13 this was 14 okay so this team lost to net vanderbilt in the national championship i got you um so we were loaded. We had a bunch of juniors that were going first round. Um, so I came out of the bullpen and was kind of like our eighth inning, you know, maybe long relief kind of guy, depending on who I was, you know, kind of going to pitch after. Sure. And um, so I came out like on fire. Like I, I did really well early my freshman year. And then um, they started putting me in bigger and bigger spots. And I remember I went in on the road against Florida State, which is a pretty hostile environment for mm. college standards. And came in some big spots, and and there was you know, air ball bounces off the bag for a hit, and just like you know everything just kind of like you know, and it's intensified with you know, five thousand fans that are super into it screaming at you. Oh and yeah, especially for a kid fresh out of high school, you know, and we had some good crowds at high school, but it doesn't compare to ACC baseball. And I was like, holy cow, like, so you know, I just started getting really hard on myself and putting some pressure on it, but um. So I didn't, and then we had some veterans get healthy, eventual big leaguers. Uh-huh. And, um, 
So I didn't pitch a whole lot. Like I didn't pitch in Omaha in the World Series. I was kind of just along for the ride at that point. But uh, I ended up throwing like 55, 60 innings, wow. which is a pretty, which is a pretty good load out of the bullpen, especially as a freshman. So it was a, um, it was a good year as a learning year, um, having to deal with some failures at the end of the season, and uh, and then they sent me off to summer ball and said, "Go figure it out." Where'd you go play? So I was in Keene, New Hampshire, in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. Okay. Um, it's kind of like this, the league below the Cape Cod league. Yeah. How'd you like so, it? So, uh, it was fun. I mean, I went there with, uh, my two roommates and two of my best friends from college and then one of our catchers. We had oh, four geez. UVA guys there. Yeah. We had a, we had a bunch of kids come from, uh, from Omaha. So that kind of loaded our team up and we did, we were a pretty good squad. So it was fun. And now, uh, cause you, you started, uh, did you start your sophomore year? Um, yeah, so I was the Saturday starter for the first couple games, and then our Friday guy got hurt, and then I jumped into the Friday spot, oh, so I, I started the whole year. Dang, sophomore year Friday guy. Man, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so shouldn't, what's, have been, shouldn't have been, but uh, oh, Nathan Kirby it. got hurt. Oh, Nathan Kirby got hurt, so. Sheesh. Well, <laughs> hey, but, but seriously, like, what does that look like, dude? Because, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big, like, um... Like title to to kind of own up to. So so what does that look like? Obviously, being a Friday guy facing everyone's ace. Like I mean, talk about the adrenaline rush on there. It was cool, man. Um, you know, some of those games I remember that year. Actually, no, that was my that was my junior year. But like going out there, like for example, my sophomore and junior year, I went head to head against Zach Gallen, who was the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, third round. I like pick Gallen, my dude. Year. He's cool, dude. Yeah, so we went head-to-head twice, and then he gets traded to the Marlins in the Ozuna trade. But, you know, so it's cool going against him. I don't know him, and then we get drafted, and we're teammates, you know, two months later after we just pitched against each other. Um, But, I mean, you got to bring your best. I mean, those guys that you're pitching against are just as good, if not better, than you. And, you know, you just got to trust yourself and go out there and and do what you think you can do. They they obviously put you in that spot for a reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So how much... I'm going to try to tie this into a question, but I might not do a good job. But how much, like, can you attribute facing all of that, like, quote-unquote pressure in those, like, big moments? Like you said, at Florida State, obviously, there's a bunch of screaming fans that are probably all intoxicated, like, yelling at you. And how much can you attribute that to kind of those calming nerves that you probably portray on the mound these days? Um, A lot, man. I mean, I remember that same freshman year, I was uh, – we were playing at Miami, which is always my favorite place to play. You and um, yeah, I was always a little bit envious of uh, of just the whole Miami, like the the flash, the swag, the weather, the oh, school. Yeah. But then I realized my last name's Jones, and it's not you know Ruiz or Abreu or <laughs> Vasquez or something. So I wouldn't have quite fit in. I wonder if but, my um, listeners get that reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they have 27 guys on the roster, or whatever, and 25 are from Miami, and they're and they're Latin. So I just, uh, I, I did, I wouldn't necessarily fit in, although I think I could have played there. But um, but it was intense, man. I was pitching the bottom ninth, bottom of the ninth and tenth, and the whole stadium's yelling at me in Spanish. And you know, wow. if I if I give up a hit, the game's over, we lose. So you know, there were some some big spots, but it's exciting, man. I think like, you know, I, when I pitched in Omaha my junior year or my sophomore year, excuse me. My agent told me, like, you'll never pitch in front of a crowd that big again until you're in the big leagues. Right. So, and I, it's it's just crazy because at the time, I'm not sure I totally realized it. Um, uh-huh. But it's just it's just a cool experience, man. That's something you don't get until you're in. If you're lucky, double A, 
maybe triple a so yeah absolutely cool. so what do you so take me through that process though like you're so you obviously you went back your sophomore year and uh you're the guy and uh-huh. uh i mean just the atmosphere is probably just something that you you know i mean you can't prepare for it you know it's not like you can mm-hmm. replicate that in a bullpen or anything so what what kind of what, what what things are you telling yourself when you're out there Shoot, I don't know. I think uh, <laughs> I black out and I go. <laughs> and <laughs> at times, yeah. Um, I think telling yourself the least amount of things as possible is probably the best option. Um, and I, I'm I'm somebody who I like to think I'm relatively intelligent, and sometimes that's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been you. a guy who's kind of battled with my my brain over the years of overthinking and thinking too much and trying too hard and caring too much and. Um, and even right now, pitching in the fall league, I just try to turn my brain off. That's the thing. I, that's the thing I came out here to work on was just turning my brain off and being stupid and just going out there and throwing and trusting yourself. And and you know, for the most part, it's 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 been nice, man. It made baseball fun again instead of worrying about throwing the ball here. And um, and I, you know, I, I it's it's it sucks that I can't totally remember, you know, <laughs> what was running through my head in those right, moments, right. you know, in Omaha or you know, at Miami or Florida state, but, um, that's, what's working for me now. And that's, that's kind of, you know, what my thought process has been is, has been nothing. And and it's, and it's, it's a funny dynamic too, because you hit it on the head, man. It's, I, I think pitching, I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that, can maybe use that to their advantage as far as being a thinker out there, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. being a scouting report guy and pitching to that. But I would say the majority of us, we struggle with that. Like we struggle with yeah. turning it off because it's funny. We can sit here on a podcast and we could talk about how good that is for us, but yet probably so hard to do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and not oh, even, it's, not, it's... not even probably like I know firsthand cause I struggle with that same thing. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, for, for a listener that's, that's tuning into this right now, man, and, and is going, Oh, frick, I struggle with that same thing. Like I'm out there thinking too much and there's a cute girl in the stands and I'm thinking about her. Like how, <laughs> how can you kind of like, um, help that kid that that's really just wanting to turn off his brain when he's pitching? Yeah. I mean, it's something I've worked on for, for years and, um, I mean, I even did it today in my outing. It's like, but you, the, the, you have to be able to think a little bit like you're, you're ultimately, you are by far your own coach out there when you're on the mound. Like, you know, it's not like the pitching coach is whispering in your ear through an earpiece. Like you're out there on your own and you got to be able to quickly and be smart enough to quickly realize what it is you might be doing wrong. Think about what it is to correct it and then stop thinking about it. Right. Like you got to be able to make that adjustment and then stop thinking about it. Cause if you keep thinking about it, you're only, it's just going to make it worse. And so I think that's the, that's the key component there is to be able to address it, recognize it, and then make the adjustment and then stop and then just trust it. You like the biggest thing for me out here has just been trust. That's the word I keep telling myself is just like, is just trust everything you've done to this point. Like I heard it not too long ago. We've been throwing, I mean, me personally, I've been throwing a ball for like 16 years now, probably Right. like ever since like kid pitch, like your body knows how to do it. You know what to do. Just go do it. Like, don't, don't make it too complicated, especially at a young age. 
you know, some of the, some of the listeners might be, yeah. you know, four, you know, 14 or so. Like if you're that young, like just keep it simple, man. You don't need to make it, you know, it's not a science out there. It's just a, it's just a game. Like tr- truly try and have fun with it. Yeah. Well, then we can dive down the other rabbit hole of how there's instructors out there and coaches out there that, that, that do the injustice of making it more complicated than it has to be. <laughs> yeah. And at times, at times, like, you know, I was just real messed up and I got back with my coach and we, and we got down to it and, you know, making adjustments isn't always making it more complicated than it has to be. You sure. know, it's, it's oftentimes re reemphasizing the, the, the simplicities of it. Um, but yeah, I think knowing your body and, and find coaches you can trust, man. My, my pitching coach, I, I trust with my life. I've had him for such a long time and, and he knows me like the back of my hand. So, I mean, it, uh, we, we flow real good and he he's always knows the right adjustments to make. So I think uh, that's, that's another huge, it's easy to trust. Right. And you've got a coach you can trust. Right. Yeah. That's, that's legit. I think, um, I think we'll, we'll definitely take away something from that, but, uh, I want to, I want to get back to, um, kind of that timeline we were talking about. So mm-hmm. in, uh, in, you play three seasons of Virginia in 2016, uh, your mm-hmm. junior year, probably a phenomenal year you obviously are now thinking draft, right? So take us through that. Um, yeah, I mean, well, we, uh, we skipped over a little part in, uh, in 2015, we won the national championship. So no, we didn't, a, we uh, didn't skip. We, we purposely just bypassed that. <laughs> well, we can talk about how I gave up a, a bomb to Andrew Benatendi in game one of the Omaha. So I definitely a, was going to, was going to avoid that, that one. <laughs> actually i'll come out and say that. i mean at this point drop. he's a world champion so i don't i don't have too much to hide yeah no kidding. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be 100 percent honest with you dude i didn't even connect those dots that's crazy yeah i mean that's it's you know it's so you won it soft, sophomore year yeah i uh i started game one of of the entire world series against arkansas and ben attendee and then um and he hit a nuke off me um you won though and <laughs> yeah we ended up winning the game um and then I kind of got had like some shoulder fatigue at the end of that game. It kind of like locked up on me. Skipped my next start against Florida, and then started Game One of the national championship against uh, Carson Fulmer and Vanderbilt. Oh my gosh, dude! That's so. That's crazy. What is that? I, I, I know our timeline right now in this podcast sucks, and this is all to do with winging <laughs> it. But dude, what is, what is that like? Game One national championship. Like, I know you're obviously not going to recall all your thoughts and emotions, but have you had time to like, or did you have time to sit there and reflect like, yo, I just started oh, for game sure. one of the national championship? Um, honestly, the national championship, I don't remember as well. I knew I was going up against Fulmer and he was a beast and had like, you know, that was his junior year. He was about to be like a top 10 pick. Um, so I knew I was going to have to bring it. Um, and we went toe to toe for five, and I think I gave up two in the six. We ended up losing that game. Um, uh, but I was I was proud of myself. But the one I remember was the first game of Omaha, my first outing against Arkansas, and I'll never forget it. Um, I was warming up in the bullpen before the game, and so just to lay the scene of Omaha, sure. the stadium holds like twenty five thousand people. It's a spectacle. Like if if you're a baseball fan, it should be on your bucket list to go to Omaha. Like it's just it's that cool. The way the city embraces it, it's like a a carnival like a, yeah. a baseball world series like it's just a huge event and so if there's twenty five thousand people there 
there was 500 UVA fans, 24,000 Arkansas fans, and 500 miscellaneous <laughs> fans. Oh, so, what? Why? Yeah, so, I mean, these SEC fans travel. No disrespect to the UVA faithful, but the yeah. SEC fans travel. Like these Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas fans are crazy. And um, so I'll hilarious. never forget warming up in the bullpen and they're doing the starting lineups. And when they started doing the Arkansas ones, they, they started doing their like war chant, you know, across the stadium, one section. Yeah. And another section would say something else. And they started doing woo pig suey. And it was so loud. And I was just, I'd never felt an adren- adrenaline rush like that before. And my, uh, you know, I felt it was either like that, that like fear or flight. Yeah. And I was just like, let's go. Like yeah. my adrenaline like kicked in. I was ready to just like take on the world. It was crazy. Oh gosh. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was, that was unbelievable. How, how so? Because I mean, I, like obviously, I've been in moments like that, dude. And it's funny because I, I'll sit and I'll try to, I'll put it into words. Like I'll, I'll at least try to give some sense of advice as far as, um, you know, if someone wants to know like how they can prepare for it or how they can kind of, if they ever get into that moment, you know, how can they really optimize, you know, themselves. Um, so like any pointers on how to lock it in or is that just something that comes naturally through competition for you? Oh man, I think some of it comes naturally. Um, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that I really don't remember a lot from those games. Yeah. There's bits and pieces that I remember from maybe seeing the film of it, but I really don't remember much. And I pitched fairly decent games in both of them. And I think there's a correlation between the two. Um, you know, I think if you get caught out there taking the whole moment in and say, Oh wow, this is really cool. Like you're probably not going to pitch very well. Right. Um, so I think it's just like, you know, i kind of have a sports influence in my family and, you know, and my, you know, parents and grandparents and all and aunts and uncles and stuff. So, you know, I think it's just have fun with the pressure and, you know, they, you know, whether it's shooting free throws in your driveway and, you know, they're putting pressure on you to, you know, this is a game, the game's on the line that yeah. kind of stuff. I think like, even little stuff like that, just putting yourself in little pressure situations. I know in the in the bullpen at UVA when we would practice, there was a, they would put us in pressure situations all the time. Like you know, if this pitch isn't a strike, then you know you're going to go run a mile or something like that. And that might be a little extreme, but yeah. there's like putting yourself, even if it's just with yourself, it doesn't have to be from a coach like you know punishing you. Just even put yourself in those spots where you know, all right, I got to throw a strike right. You know, three two you know, I got to throw a strike right here. And I think just little stuff like that can help prepare you a little bit for those situations. Yeah. Cause it all matters. I mean, every, mm-hmm. every, every little thing we do as far as training goes, I, I mean, it, it plays a part. And I know, I know that was something that I kind of wish that I, if I could go back in my younger days of my career, I would change because I just remember always training, you know, more of just training to train and not really having mm-hmm. an idea behind it and not really manipulating any situations, I guess. Um, yeah. but I think that's, that's huge for, for, for younger athletes, man, is, um, I said this on a podcast the other day, man, is like challenge yourself, you know, and, mm-hmm. and fall in love with that competition, even if it is with yourself, you know, you, yeah. you, you, you just can't be, you can't be scared of that moment. You got to want to go out there and be the guy to yeah. be the guy to do it. Even if it's, you know, you're 11 years old and it's your travel team and you know, want to be the guy. Don't, yeah. don't be scared of, don't be scared of failing. You got to go out there and, you know, you got to try. Verlander said that, I think, uh, before like one of his, um, recent starts. Um, 
I think word for word. So good job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So now can we go back to the dang draft, dude? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. So so I'm I'm glad we hit on that. Thank you for reminding me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm actually just bitter that I didn't go to college and I didn't get to experience all those things that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> so okay, uh, 2016, dude. It's 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 time. Let's what 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 are our what are our emotions looking like right now? Um, I mean, our our team wasn't that good that year. We got knocked out in our own regional. Um, I was obviously nervous. I mean, I at this point, you obviously know my high school story, but I was I had been told I was supposed to be like a late first round pick mm-hmm. till uh, you know, for the past four four years or whatever it is. Um, so, but I'm excited. You know, I'm I'm excited for the new chapter that's about to start. Um. And I said, uh, I said early before the draft happened, I said I'd rather, I would rather get drafted later to a better fit than get drafted early, earlier to a team that I like, you know, or an organization that I didn't necessarily feel like I would fit in with. And um, that's exactly what happened. I mean, I, uh, I, my performance kind of fell off a little bit at the end of my junior year, and I think I had some trouble throwing strikes, and you know, there were some some critics about getting drafted out of Virginia and. And all these things, and so they, um, I slid to the end of the second round. Slid, and it, uh, jeez, oh, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> in the moment, in the moment, though, that like was, I mean, I was, I was watching kids get drafted before me that had hardly even pitched in college, right? And so that was like, that was right. gut wrenching. Like I was like, how I knew I was better than that, and I, I was, I was pissed, and right. I felt disrespected. Um, but at the end of the day, it's exactly what happened. I felt like the, you know, all you hear about with the Cardinals is you know, promoting pitchers, developing pitchers, you know, promote from within. Mm-hmm. They're so good about it. You know, that's, that's like what they pride themselves on. And I was like, well, shoot. I mean, that it seems like <laughs> a great fit. Like as far as I, you only hear good things about the Cardinals in that aspect. And um, so I was excited. And then were they on your, were they, were they, were they on your radar? Like that whole junior year? Um, you only know so much. Right. Like, and I think my advisor, my agents did a good job of not, especially me not you know flooding me with information that i really didn't need to know yeah i knew there were some teams like at the time my pitching coach worked for the blue jays and i was kind of hopeful like you know they might they sure. might pull the trigger because i knew they were on me and i knew that like the orioles liked me and some other teams but um i knew they called me a couple i got it was the 70th pick and i think they called me at 63 and said if the um maybe it was the blue jays the blue jays don't take you here the cardinals are taking you at 70 so I kind of knew, you know, a little bit beforehand what was going to happen. But as far as like during the season, I had no idea. Yeah. How crazy is that process though? Like draft day, like just sitting <laughs> oh my there God, with your It phone. was the worst. It was the absolute worst. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I did, I had like two or three close friends over. I had yeah. my grandparents and my parents and that was it. I didn't want to make a big spectacle. God forbid that like something like that happened. And, um, but you know, when it was all said and done with, you know, it was before I got drafted. It was gut wrenching, and then after it happened, it was just pure excitement. You know, yeah, man, I'm freaking. That's like a huge, a huge goal. So I, I'm curious though. Was there any thought of like, yo, I just, you know, we weren't that good my junior year. Like, I kind of want to end on a good note. Maybe I'll, I'll ponder the idea of going back for my senior. No, no, I, uh, I knew the way the draft process worked well enough. Where I knew that probably wasn't the best idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're you're like a, a lot more mature than a lot of people though. Like with your approach, probably good uh, good like agents, good advisors, kind of telling you. That. I'd I'd like to think that uh, I certainly don't have everything figured out, but I uh, <laughs> I I've, 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 my parents did a great job as far as setting me up, 
you know, with a lot of good pieces around me. So yeah. I was fortunate enough for that. So, so okay, you you get drafted by St. Louis. Obviously, there's excitement there because you know. The and then I meet here. Rob Rowland. And then and then you meet me, and then the, the end the story ends. Like it's it's yeah. a, it's a happy ending, which doesn't happen <laughs> often. So consider no. yourself lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they because obviously me being there, I know, but I, I want my listeners to know that what that process looks like as soon as you get drafted, as far as like press uh, establishing like the media, and then getting sent to wherever they send you yeah so i was the highest drafted player not to go to st louis so i flew you know, poor me wow. i uh <laughs> i flew i flew fun little stat actually fun little uh, fun little note yeah, i at uh, least you have that. so i got sent straight to florida <laughs> um signed there in the offices and then i was part of the infamous waka plan oh, where boy. they sent uh dakota hudson zach gallon and myself the three college pitchers to the gcl where we would just you know for three weeks just get acclimated to pro ball and and just kind of hang out i think i threw two innings there over the three weeks we just kind of reset you know we stopped throwing and then kind of just easily built ourselves up and then they shipped us out right um that's yeah so i'm trying to did you go to did you finish in palm beach or no, so I sat there I th- three weeks there, and then they sent me. I flew up to uh, Vermont, where I met with State College. That's right. And then I uh, finished right. out the year up there, and we won the uh, the New York Penn League title. So that was fun. First first so, pro title. Yeah, freaking weeks into your professional career. <laughs> I actually, and the GCL ended up winning as well. So I got two rings. <laughs> you got two rings that year. Yeah, <laughs> lucked into it. I just grinded and got my first ring like last off season. <laughs> Feels good. Um, so. I don't think we, because I was in state college for like, I think ten days, but you weren't there yeah. yet. I remember meeting you. I'm, I'm trying to think, like, trying to pinpoint that exact date. The but. first time I think we met was in the the following spring training, my first spring training that following year, if I recall correctly. Maybe because I, I went just I went up just after Fourth of July, and then finished out the year in state college. I probably threw ten more innings out of the bullpen, just you know, only clean yeah. innings. You know, very like. Very structured. Talk about a draft, dude. Freaking Dak. We had a you, really, really good draft. Gallon. Am I missing anyone in the top three? Four? Uh Dittler was Dylan Carlson, the switch hitting outfielder from yeah. California. Really mature kid. He's in Palm Beach right now. He had a good year. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh Delvin Delvin Perez was the first pick that year. Is Puerto he Rican shortstop? Yeah, he's he's gonna be a stud. He's uh, he struggled fair amount, but he's still like you know fifteen like, years old. Yeah. So <laughs> I know I was gonna say, <laughs> guy's twelve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay. Um, so your then first... we, they, they, a lot of them was the later picks like uh, Tommy Edmond. Stud. Yeah, like even like Andrew Kisner went to the Futures game this year was like sixth, seventh round or something. Yeah, he's panning out. Holy hell! And heck. then we, yeah, there's there was a lot of uh, a lot of the college guys from that year they hit on. So Where did Kisner a, go to school? Uh, NC State. He's a Virginia kid, but went to NC State. That's what I thought. I knew there was Virginia yeah. there. Um, okay, so back to the time. Back to the timeline. So your first, uh, your first full season, 2017. You show up for. They send you to early camp, spring training. Yep, went to that, and then um, starter, right? And they, then they had you starter yep, plan. Yep, starting, and then I broke with. Uh, I went straight to high A in Palm Beach. Ooh, I was you fired skipped up about Peoria. That. Yeah. Wow, lucky um, you. We had a. Yeah, apparently we uh, we had a loaded rotation, so we uh, we had a really good team, and I was there for almost the entire year. And there was a lot of adjustments adjustments to be made 
So, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have uh, Randy Neiman was our pitching coach Love there. That, Nemo, great guy. One of the and best. He, uh, he he was huge for me trying to make the adjustments from college, which I was so like so heavily involved in. Let's dive in, dude. Out. Cause that's always something interesting that I like to talk about too, is like what, I mean, yeah. obviously there's, there's external changes from college to pro ball and it's, I mean, I don't want to say it on the air, but like pitching in the Florida state league, especially at, you know, Palm beach, Roger Dean stadium, like not really much adrenaline, you know, it's not really the same as Omaha. So, so hey, what are those adjustments hey, like? Let's, let's be honest. Bingo night. We're pushing 300 fans. Oh, so. Bingo night, dude. <laughs> elect, elect it gets exactly. crazy, bro. I've never yeah. been more nervous in my life. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right um yeah dude so so what what are those adjustments looking like though from from college to uh to roger dean so honestly it was more just like adjustments within myself mm-hmm. it was like you know in talking with gallon and dakota like um when we were in the gcl our manager asked them if they called their own games in college and they, they both said yes after their freshman year you know you gain a little trust and then you get to call your own game like that never happened for me so I threw 250 innings in college and I didn't call one pitch. Really? So like it, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but then all of a sudden I'm up there and I'm facing the number two overall draft pick and Nick Senzel and in, in, in Daytona beach. And I'm trying to like read his swing and set him up. And I never had to do that in college. Yeah. I just, whatever they put down, I just threw it. And so there was this whole growing, you know, growing pains and growth period of trying to, figure out how to set guys up and at this time i was still just in i i basically i banged everything from college mechanics pitches everything why started from, started started from scratch i just um i mean you were a second rounder dude like that i mean i'm sure people listen and go wait <laughs> what <laughs> yeah it's it's uh it's crazy i know but um i don't know i i wasn't huge on the mechanics philosophy and um so I changed it and just started from scratch. And I had heard other guys that had struggled um, kind of in their pro career with the changes. And they kind of got caught in limbo of like maybe wanting to still do some of it and then do some other stuff new. Sure. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start from scratch. But I'm also going to do it right now because if I struggle in the Florida State League, you know, who really cares? Where if I struggle, if I'm trying to all of a sudden make a change when I'm on the brink of the big leagues, that's a little bit more of a stressful mm-hmm. transition. So new mechanics, I was like, I threw so many sliders in college, totally banged that pitch when my throwing partner said it was terrible and I didn't believe him. And he said, your, he said your curveball is way better. And, and I think the change in mechanics had a part to do with that. I was, yeah. I was really, I wasn't getting around the ball as much. I started getting more, I was in college, I was around the ball. So my, my fastball ran and my slider slid. And now I was more on top of the ball consistently. And all of a sudden my, fastball sinking like crazy and my curveball is biting like crazy because i'm on top of the ball more consistently and so uh, he told me your curveball's way better i said you serious he said yeah trust me so i from that day on in state college i never threw another slider and it's just a uh, curveball is my main my main breaking ball so what are you fast curve change yeah and so i worked that whole year on a changeup because my changeup was my best pitch my whole life and they wouldn't let me throw it in college oh my god and uh, i was basically fastball changeup until my senior year when my changeup was basically just like a slow fastball right to high school hitters right and um so i tried throwing the circle change again and i just could not get the feel for it i tried all year all my sides and i just couldn't do it so then when i was in college they had me throw us like a, a true split finger fastball 
Uh-huh. And it was hit or miss. Some games it was good. Some games it was relevant. And um, so I kind of made like a hybrid, like split change. I like Splange. the split grip because yeah, well, I mean, whatever we want to cut the fage. I've heard a bunch of other fage, yeah. a bunch of other <laughs> bunch of other words for it, but right. uh, I like the split grip because it took the feel aspect out of it. It's almost like a power pitch, and then I just threw some fingers on the side to take a little bit of velo off and just yeah, act like, a, act, act like a rudder. Yeah, and, I like um, that. I mean, it's it's still my third pitch by far, but it I do have a change up. So. Yeah. So, are you thinking like pronation on that or at all? Or are you kind of throwing it off the split? <laughs> You're just using those fingers, just no. I mean, I, I pronate so much already, right? That I just think like split. I just don't throw it as hard. I don't throw it like as hard as I can. I just kind of think like pulling the shade down, just straight down when I release it. So, so. I, I, I I told you in the beginning of the show that I was gonna look forward to diving into a little analytics. So mm-hmm. what what's the what's the analytics on that pitch looking like? Um, I mean, they tell me it's obviously my third pitch. Are they, uh, are they, I, I need to ask before, sorry for interrupting, but are they like, I mean, when I was there, it wasn't like super secretive as far as like your pitch FX and stat cast stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but is, are they showing you that now? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the first thing they try to do, and I think it's great is they try to help you identify like what kind of pitcher you are, right. like, what are your strengths? So like, as a as an extreme sinker ball ground ball guy, I've got no sense just grooving fastballs belt high up in the zone. Like yeah. that's just that's not a good idea for my success. Yeah. Um, which I think that's huge, helping guys figure out what like what they should try to do to help use their tools to the best, you know, possible way that they can. So like I could tell you you could ask about anyone in the organization, I could tell you like what they do best, just because they talk about it so much. Right. Um yeah. well it's probably like with your slider too, like I'm sure the track man showed your slider probably not that efficient and you're just you thought it was you thought it was yeah. one pitch and it was realistically a different pitch. So that's where yeah, I it was, think it's got a place for for in this game. Oh, for sure. And I, I thought my curveball was just an okay pitch because we really in college they just used it as like an OO, get me over, yeah. and then just do sliders after that. Where in reality, according to Trackman and the analytics, my curveball was like a well above average pitch and I had no idea. That's funny. So that kind of helped me. Hey, is it really that good a pitch? All right, well, I guess I'll start throwing it. <laughs> and then that gives you confidence, though, right? Like, oh, I mean, now sure. you have like I a mean, total. I, I didn't know. It just kind of, I thought it, you know, I thought it was okay, but it just kind of, it kind of, it kind of helps, you know, you have the eye test and then it can kind of, you know, affirm what the eye test is, you know, telling you. So, um, what, what is your sinker? Like, like what, 1800, 1900? 1800. That's yeah. unreal, um, man. Yeah. It's just strange. I've got a really like a, a an above average high spin curveball, and then a really low. I was spin just going to ask that. Like, how does that? Are, yeah. are, you, are you throwing? So this is what intrigues me about the whole spin thing is is uh, just from talking to a lot of guys on this show. You know, we talk about um, the correlation between like grip strength, finger strength, the release of the ball, <laughs> and True. and because um, I have really low spin too. Like I'm I'm eighteen something as well. Wow, and, and I. I throw, uh, I get calluses on my index finger. And I would always yep. say, like, you know, index being a weaker finger than the middle finger, whereas you see, like, another guy that has super high spin, maybe a callus on his middle finger. So are you so throwing? I get, I get mine on my middle finger. So that's, you know, just debunked me. Um, are, you, are you throwing <laughs> your curveball off the middle finger? But this is the thing I'm a four seam sinker guy. Wait, what? So, mind blown. Yeah, we'll just give everyone a moment to kind of wrap their heads around that. So, you throw a four-seam fastball and it sinks? Yeah. You it's, throw kind a- of a cockeye, it's kind of a cockeyed four-seamer, but it's a four-seamer. It's, I, so, my freshman year in college, they were all two-seam. 
And then I got wild, and they said, "All right, well, let's let's you know, pull back the reins and throw a four seamer to get back your control." Yeah, did it for a little bit, and then it just felt uncomfortable in my hand, and I just kind of offset that. I just turned my hand a little, my fingers a little bit on the seams, and it's been that ever since. So I can just a pure comfort standpoint. Yeah, and I can kind of relate to that, dude. Whereas, like, you see the horseshoe on a ball, and I almost put the crevices of my two fingers in that horseshoe, which kind of presets the ball almost into like a cutter position. So that's why, like, my forcing would cut. It's interesting that you're. Yeah, I've seen that. Oh yeah, that's crazy to me. Yeah, and I even faced guys. I I had a teammate, um, Brandon Lau. I played against him. He's he made his debut at the Rays this year. I played against him in high school, showcase, college, and we played against him in the Florida State League. And he said, "Dude, what did you do to your fastball?" And I said, "Nothing. It's exact. It's exactly what I threw to you when you were at Maryland and I was in Virginia. We were in school." And he said, "Dude, it's it's crazy now. Like it's just it's it's falling straight down. Like I don't know." And I think that came from changing mechanics and getting on top of the ball yeah. more consistently and getting more downward action instead of just run. Because at this level, you're not going to miss miss barrels with run. <laughs> you miss barrels with sink. True. So it just because your ball runs doesn't mean you're throwing a sinker. That's that's really not a good thing. Um, and I've learned that firsthand when I would get whacked all over the yard when I was flattened <laughs> out. <laughs> but, um, that's so true. But yeah, so it's uh, and then to answer your question, yeah, curveball, uh, mainly I'd say 75-80% off my middle finger. That's man, you're like the first guy, and I talk to a lot of dudes, man. You're the first guy that I've heard like being a low spin fastball guy with a high spin curveball. So that's, yeah, I didn't, I wow. never would have realized that was like not the norm, right. but um, our coordinators, they've told me that a fair amount of times and and the thing that's weird with the curveball is i throw it hard so they say like you've got curveball movement but slider velocity and it's kind of like fishy for the hitters when you're when they're trying to see it yeah and pick it up yeah you definitely don't make sense to me (laughs) (laughs) what so so what's what's your like what's your velos on on all your pitches so I mean I just had a velo jump here in the fall league where I was up to ninety eight ninety nine. Sheesh, with sync um, at eighteen hundred yeah. spin. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, but this whole year I would top ninety five. I hit ninety six like twice, but I was ninety two ninety four. Right. And then through some more efficient movements and kind of cleaning up my motion, I got a velocity jump when I got here. And now I'm, I'm also a reliever now, yeah. so it's nice. Yeah. You know, out of the bullpen, I can just blow it out in one inning or. But I really don't think that had much to do with it. I really think it was the cleaning up my motion and using my my body more efficiently and my momentum more efficiently. But um, but yeah, and then the curveball is um, upwards of like eighty four, eighty five. Ew. Typi- typically eighty two, eighty three. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. And I just try to make sure I keep depth on it. I don't want it to look like a slider. I want it to be like a. It's really, a, whatever you really six? whatever you call a pitch. What? A, no, just because my arm slot as a sinker I, guy, I'll, yeah. I it's, I'm not straight over the top. I'm probably three quarters. But I got you. Like a really whatever whatever you call a pitch is just kind of like I call it a curveball in my mind, so right. I call it a curveball. Right. Whereas, like I think if you call it a, like whatever you call a pitch is what you're throwing in your mind and right. what your intentions are behind the pitch. Yeah, makes total sense to me. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> so it's funny because I know I know all these listeners are going to go, okay, homeboy had a huge velo jump, and all he said was he cleaned up his mechanics and used his body more efficiently. <laughs> so what does that look like, dude? I hate to go into detail while you're still in the no, season no, or anything, but what, what does that I look like? I like talking about it because it helps me continue to learn and practice sure. it, basically. Sure. So uh, when I, I came home after the regular season where I kind of struggled at the end, and then – I knew I was coming to the fall league, so I definitely wanted to get right before I came here, being that this league's so important. Yeah. Um, so I went and got back with my lifelong pitching coach. He came down from Maryland, and we threw a bullpen together. And um, I kind of, like, in my motion, I kind of have a bad habit of kind of, like, rushing towards home plate before I really, like, my body's in the right positions, whether it's in the windup or the stretch. I kind of just lift my leg and start going. Right. And, um, and that really makes repeating like your timing and the delivery pretty difficult when nothing can get set. So there was two things we worked on. The first thing was making sure that I got, you know, my body in the right position before I started going home. So I'll kind of lift my leg a little bit, you know, back towards, you know, um, back towards my back leg. And I wasn't just straight up in the air. I kind of came back towards my right knee a little bit. Right. And I would kind of sit into my leg and give my body just like a split second to kind of get there and then start going home. And I think that that had more to do with consistency and timing mm-hmm. than it did with velocity. And then I think where the velocity came from more was, and I've worked with my pitching coach since I was like 16, so he's seen me grow up and get stronger and get bigger. And he said when you were younger, you know, you had, you were skinny. You had, you know, your legs were, were strong enough, but they weren't, you know, like he said, you got tree trunks now. You need to use them. Yeah. And so... So he kind of said, like when you when you watch Max Scherzer pitch, and he's got his his land leg is so firm in the ground, mm. and that's where you really transfer that energy because pitching is really just transferring your energy from the your you know as a righty mm-hmm. from your right leg then to your left leg, mm-hmm. it's, and it's you know when you, if you were trying to be simple, that's what it is. And so I was inconsistent on my land on my my plant leg you know, some would kind of wobble over to the right or maybe wobble over to the left. And, and I was just, wasn't using all of what I had in there. I was kind of just wasting, you know, some of the energy. Right. So we really worked on when I was delivering the pitch, kind of just like stomping that foot in the ground and letting it rip. And I could tell like the first or second pitch and I hadn't thrown off a mound in like a month. Cause this was after the season had ended uh-huh. at the end of September. This was, you know, late September, you know, this was about a month. And, um, I said like, wow, like I, I'm pretty sure that pitch was pretty hard. Like, <laughs> like sometimes you just kind of know, when yeah, it's out good. yeah I, said, absolutely. I feel like that was hard. And, um, you know, I'm just throwing on the empty high school field to a kid I grew up playing with. And, um, we just worked on that, like just stomping that foot into the ground and really like, we called it like stick in the landing, like just sticking your foot in the ground and sticking it. And I think that's where the velocity came from was just like using all that energy instead of just kind of like, you know, wasting it because it comes from the ground up. Right. And if your base is weak and, you know, inconsistent, then, you know, your foundation yeah, it's not really too yeah. firm. I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of people get kind of uh, I don't know if scared is the right word, but like maybe a little timid of of being really heavy with that lead leg because they think being heavy with that lead leg leads to like kind of some maybe jarred movements and which would lead to like some inconsistencies out front. Did you ever kind of struggle with that, or is it all pretty smooth <laughs> transitioning? 
Um, I mean, no, because I ended the year in such an uncomfortable state where I was not comfortable or maybe kind of scared to let it rip or scared to throw it away or something like that, where I was just like, shoot, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it it felt good. Like it Mm -hmm. just felt good not worrying about where it was going, just letting it rip and letting it eat. And so just like being super firm and slamming that foot down and just, and then I knew right away it just came out good. And then like, sometimes you just got to try stuff, man. I would have never thought, I would have never thought about that. And obviously having a coach who knows me really well and I can trust with, with anything and everything helps. But like that, that was big for me. And I, I ever, right. And I, after 20 pitches doing those two things, I knew, like, I felt better than I had almost the whole year. And that was, like, that was huge for me. Well, it's, it's funny how, like, one little thing like that can just click. And yeah, it's different oh, for, for everybody. Sure. But uh, like you said, like, pitching a lot of it, man, is just experimental. Because you never know, like, what is truly optimal mechanics or motion, you know, for yeah, you. And everyone's different, which also makes it hard. Like, oh, what gosh. I'm saying right now could help some of the listeners in a, in a, in a way or two, but it's probably not going to be perfect for everyone i know i know a big uh, like a very highly popular topic within the like the pitching coach realm is how an individual or how an athlete would would land on that front foot because you know there's some guys you probably come across them that that teach um you know teach real quiet front foot like almost dipping the toe in the water like soft front foot and then there's some that maybe teach like landing with the heel is there a specific part of that foot that you're kind of thinking about or is it just how hard can i hit into the ground no i think the thing with me is i just i make sure that i'm staying closed sometimes i feel myself fly open a little bit and then i just got to re reinforce stay closed and so i think naturally when my foot lands it's it's a little bit closed yeah um, but I'm not, I'm just thinking stick the landing. Like, like that's, that's really it. Like, I'm not trying to be cute with it. Right. <clears throat> I'm trying to attack guys. Like if I'm coming out of the bullpen, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw hard. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to come after you. And I think in doing so, I mean, I gained like three to four miles an hour than I've ever thrown in my entire, I mean, I've been like up to 95 from the past like six years. Yeah. So and all of a sudden, now after this, I gained three or four. So I don't think that's like a coincidence, right? And I mean, yeah, you could say it's a mindset change. You could say it's a it's a it's a mechanics change. You know, whatever. But at the end of the day, yeah, I like, think, I think it was intent, a change. intent has a lot to do with uh, intent with your pitches, intent with your mechanics, intent with your plan has a lot to do with with pitching in general. Heck yeah, man! Because I've I've been there too, where you kind of were at the at the end of this year, where like. You know, you're not you're you're timid to like let it eat because you you really yeah. don't have an idea of your timing and everything's kind of thrown mm-hmm. off and and it's funny too because that's happened to me at the end of years too where it's kind of you just do the you know you re- so many repetitions over and over again that you kind of just you know there's not that that spark I, I guess but um, yeah I think that that plays a huge role in it that's why you know for me on on my side of things trying to like mentor younger kids it's always you know do everything if it's training you know if it's playing catch do everything with a very high level of intent so you can get used to that feeling and just roll with that without a doubt um so i want to wrap up the show dude this has been great but before we do i want to know um are you guys is your fall league team in the hunt for a a ring i mean 
there's only so many games here, so I think we're not. I think we still control our own destiny. I think we're a game or two, a couple games back. Yeah. But um, I mean, we've got we've got the number one prospect in all of baseball leading the way in Vlad Guerrero Jr. So gosh, what he's a he's hitting it. He's hitting a cool 480 right now over halfway through. So <laughs> <laughs> that's um, ridiculous, dude. It's just crazy, man. Every team's an all-star team. Hey, it's um, fun. It's fun, man. That was the funnest time yeah. of my career for sure. Yeah. Um. So, how much longer you got left? How many outings do you think you got left? Uh, a handful. I mean, we've got like twelve more games left, I think. So maybe three or four. Gotcha. You threw today. Um. Yeah. How'd it go? Through today. Pretty good. I uh, was upset with myself for uh, getting in my head a little bit, but you got to find the silver lining. I was really happy with how I, like I alluded to earlier, caught myself doing it, made the adjustment, three straight ground outs. You gotta, you gotta overcome that stuff mid outing. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. <laughs> I mean, oh, basically, gosh. sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but love at it. Times it feels so hard. Gosh, dude, ain't that the truth? But uh, yeah. hey, dude. So tell my listeners where they can find you as far as all like all your social media outlets. Yeah. So uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. That's Connor Jones, C O N N O R uh, Jones underscore thirty three. Um, and then Twitter at uh, Connor Jones 33. I'm most on Instagram, so uh, yeah. would love to interact with y'all. Hear what y'all have to say. Hear what you guys say about the Robbie Rose show. Let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, you saw you spelled your name wrong, by the way. No one spells it that way. Ooh, I guess that's something we should uh, talk to my parents about. That then. <laughs> <laughs> I've never. I've, I, I was writing your name down before the show, and I was like, wait, is that right? No, that's not right. Yeah, contrary to popular belief, there are people that spell their name O-R. You got Con- <laughs> Connor Green's with you right now, right? Yeah, he's E-R. He's an E-R guy. I feel like that's a normal guy right there. <sighs> many <laughs> many people would say otherwise. <laughs> that O-R's normal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, Connor, um, I appreciate your time, man, and good luck the rest of the way in the Fall League. I'll sign you off off the air. Yeah, appreciate it, Rob. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, guys. That's another episode of The Robbie Rowe Show. Do me a favor, if you liked the episode, or even if you didn't like it, go ahead and leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Not only does it help me out um, with popularity on my show, but it also helps me out as a host of this podcast. Um, sometimes I don't know if I'm getting better or if I'm getting worse, and I need I need y'all's opinion. So uh, go ahead and leave a review and let me know what you thought. So again, thank you so much. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in. Until next time, Robbie Rowan, The Robbie Rowe Show. Your boy's out. Later.